Okay, so Jonah chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, let's have a look at this together. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, where have you been? Because you've missed a fantastic book. How many of you learned something new from the book of Jonah? All right, three of you, that's really great. Well, I don't care because I have learned loads of fantastic stuff from this book. If you haven't learned anything new, you are either like not alive or you're certainly not listening because there's been so much fantastic stuff out of this book. And just as a little recap, um, Jonah was a prophet and God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, which is this horrible city, and bring my word to it. And Jonah said, nah, I don't want to do that. Turned around and ran away from God, went on a boat in the opposite direction. God loves Jonah too much to let him run away. The worst thing God can ever do is to take his hand off you. Did you know that? God loves him so much, he sent a storm to get his attention. He sent a captain to bang on the door to get his attention. Ultimately, he sent a fish to swallow him to get his attention. Jonah starts turning towards God and prays, which is good. a good thing to do if you're in a situation like that. And the fish takes him to where God wanted him to be and spews him up onto dry land with the, the Chanel, all that perfume. That's where all that comes in, all right? So impacted the kids' lives. It's great to know that. Um, and then he goes into Nineveh. And he preaches what God tells him to preach. And they all turn from their wickedness and they all give their lives to God. And that's where we've come to in Jonah chapter 4. And when you're doing research for a book like this, okay, I've used lots of other people's talks and commentaries and ideas and things. And through the research of that, we found that cartoon thing, okay, that you've been watching the last few weeks. We also found something else, which I thought, shall I use this or shan't I? And so I decided not to, but now I'm going to. And it's taken from a Sunday school, an American Sunday school competition where these little kids get up and they tell a, a Bible story. And this girl is totally on a different planet, okay, from all of the other kids. And uh, her name's Mary Margaret. I don't know how old she is. She's not very old. And she gets up with no notes and tells the whole story of Jonah, all four chapters in her own words. And you're gonna, it's about eight minutes long. You're going to hear just the last couple of minutes, which is the last kind of bit of the story. What's really funny, I think, is watching the teacher behind and the other kids who just sat there like that. And this kid is amazing. So this is Jonah, chapter three and four, as you've never heard it before. This is Mary Margaret. Take a little look at the screens. Jonah entered the city, calling to the people. People of Nineveh, listen to me. The Lord God will destroy you and your city. Stop your wicked ways. What? Did you hear that? You have angered God. He says the Lord is angry with us. Why? What have we done? You are vain and selfish. Maybe if we change our ways, we've been too concerned with our fancy clothes. You are greedy and unkind. We should share our riches with the poor. You are wasteful as the poor star. We've been eating too much and not caring about our hungry neighbors. It's true. We've been selfish. God will punish you. We must all pray to the Lord for forgiveness. The people heard Jonah, prayed to God, and, be, and began meaning their ways. Meanwhile, God, Jonah climbed a hill above the city and sat down to watch God dis destroy it. He waited and waited. I feel like a fool. All my work has wasted. God is not destroying Nineveh. Jonah, yes, Lord? 
Jonah will you never learn my love. My love is great. It is greater than my anger. And it is for all my creatures. Didn't I give you another chance? Yes, you did. Now I am giving the Ninevites another chance. Go now, Jonah, and try to love as I do. Then you will be a true man of God. Yay for God! He has forgiven us! Yay! Hooray! Hooray! So Jonah began his long journey home and tried to love as God had taught him. The end. She quite scares me, actually, <laughs> in quite a scary kind of way. If you go on YouTube, you can see that, and you can watch the whole thing. It's phenomenal all the way through. It's just, say, from a different planet. Quite scary. Okay, so Jonah chapter 4. There are two massive questions that scream at us from Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to read it together in a minute. And the two questions are, number one, I think, why on earth is Jonah so angry with God? And number two, why... Does the story end so weirdly and so abruptly? Let's look at the first question. See, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Do you think that's good news? That's great news. But then in chapter 4, verse 1, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Here again, like we said in week 1, Jonah has a massive issue with but. He has got butt issues. You know what I'm talking about? We looked at this in Jonah chapter 1. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, but Jonah ran away. God sent a storm, but, the Bible says, Jonah went down and went to sleep. God saved the city, but Jonah was angry. Why on earth was Jonah so angry? What makes you angry? What really ticks you off? And I wonder sometimes if we get angry about the right things. If we want our heart to reflect God's heart, do we get angry about the right things? See, Jonah is not only angry. The Hebrew word that is used in the text is the word chara, which means rage, burning, seething rage. This is not just someone who's angry. This is deep lying, seething, burning rage that's under the surface But that when it releases, it's like a volcano going off. That's what's happening here. And listen to what has made him angry. He tells us what's made him angry in verse 2. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew, and here's the complaint, that you, you God, are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. When have you ever heard anybody complain to God about that? You, God, are just so gracious. You're so full of love. You're so full of... Have you ever said that to God? I mean, our complaints, the standard complaints about God is, God, why could you let this tragedy happen? You've heard that one. You've said it, many of you, in your lives. God, why didn't you intervene? God, if you say you're a God of love, how can that earthquake happen? How could this accident happen? How could that tsunami happen? And we understand those questions, legitimate questions. But how many times have you ever heard anyone say, do you know the problem with God? He is so gracious. He's so full of love. He's so full of compassion. Just re- doesn't that really tick you off? Doesn't that tick you off about God? He's just so gracious, isn't he? If only he would be a little less gracious, a little less abounding in love, then everything would be great. 
See, this is weird, isn't it? This is unusual. What is going on here? Now, the context is as important here as the text. In other words, if you were a Jewish hearer of this, you'd understand totally why Jonah is so ticked off. And he's so ticked off because the Ninevites, the Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the first and the longest empire in human history. Forget the Romans, the Greeks, all the rest. The Assyrian has been the longest span of of empire in human history. And it was the first empire. And the reason that it was the longest empire in human history was because of the wickedness that the rulers employed in order to keep them in power. Let me just give you a few little examples of how wicked they were. One king, whose name is far too long and complicated for me to even begin to pronounce, what he did was that when people revolted, the leaders of the revolt, he had them flayed, which is whipped, and he put their skin around the pillars around the city. He took some of the other people and he cut off their noses and their ears and their fingers and posted them around the city as a threat to any would-be revolters. And so they kept themselves in power so long because of their barbarity and because of their uh, wickedness. And you see, what's worse for the Jews is that Assyria borders the northern part of Jerusalem, Judah. Judah and they reserved a specific kind of um, threat, if you like, or, or action for the Jews. You see, the Jews had an incredible, and they still do have, strong sense of ethnic identity. And what the Assyrians did was that they raided the northern parts of Judah and they forced the women to marry their men to produce mixed-race children who were neither Jew nor Assyrians and were disowned by both the Jews and the Assyrians. This mixed-race group of people were known as the Samaritans. Anyone heard of them? And so to the Jewish listener, he totally gets why Jonah is ticked off with God. Because when you have a strong sense of identity and that identity has been deliberately diluted, then you understand the rage that he feels towards this group of people. You see, that's why when Jesus comes on the scene hundreds of years later, and he starts talking to a Samaritan woman, and he tells a story about a good Samaritan, you understand that the hearers heard something different than we would hear. Think, what, you would talk to someone like that? And what's going on here is that Jonah is angry with God because God has given grace to people that Jonah thinks shouldn't get grace. And I've been trying to think about what would that look like in our culture or our understanding even. It would be a little bit like the Jews and the Nazis, Second World War. Millions of Jews killed under that regime. You can imagine a little bit of the feeling between there. Or in Rwanda, where in the early 90s, 800,000 killed in 100 days. Many were killed in churches. So the Hutus and the Tutsi tribes, imagine that kind of level of feeling between them. Or Jews and Palestine, Palestinians. Or Catholic and Protestant the height of the troubles, isn't it tragic to another bomb in Ireland? Yesterday we thought that had all gone, didn't we? And to pray for that, that nothing kicks out of that whole situation. Or blacks and whites in South Africa. You look at this kind of thing and you see what's going on here, that God is a God of grace and Jonah can't handle it. Can't handle it. Then there's the second question. Why does the book end in the way that it does? Because God lets Jonah speak and then asks the question, have you any right to be angry? Jonah heads out the city, the vine grows up, that's all good. The worm comes, eats the vine, that's all bad. God asks him another question, have you any right to be angry? Jonah says, I do actually. God then shares his heart 
And the whole book finishes with a question. Should I not be concerned about that great city? There's only other one book, there's only one other book in the Bible that finishes with a question. And it's the book of Nahum, which is also a prophetic book about Nineveh. And we'll look at that later. Now, for me, this feels like, have you ever watched a film and you thought, this had better be a good ending? Anyone ever watched that? We, me and Alice watched a film last night. It wasn't a great film, so I won't tell you what it was and I wouldn't recommend you watched it. But we watched it on, you know, on the pay things on the television. And we thought, this is slow, 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 but it's going to really kick into life at the end and blah, 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 how's it going to go? And then I'm checking how much time is left just to make sure that this is not going to be blah, 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 blah. And then it gets to the end and we think, and then all of a sudden, there's just a black and a credits. I'm like, no way, you can't finish the film there, that's ridiculous. Anyone know what I'm on about? Or if you read a book and you get to the last chapter and the last page and you read it and you go, no. And you turn over expecting another page. That's what's happening here. It finishes with a question. And you don't know the answer. You don't know what's going on. That's how the book finishes. If it was me, if it was me, I'd have finished it at the end of chapter 3, verse 10. Wouldn't you? Because if you finish at the end of chapter 3, verse 10, it starts with Jonah, angry prophet, runs away from God. God does all this Steven Spielberg supernatural stuff. He turns to God, prays, goes to Nineveh, preaches. Everybody repents. Fantastic. It would finish on Jonah's success. It doesn't finish on success. Do you know why? Because God is not primarily concerned with our success. You are very concerned with your success. I am very concerned with my success. God isn't. God isn't primarily concerned with my success. He's not primarily concerned with my comfort. He's not primarily concerned with my happiness. He's really concerned with my heart. He wants my heart to become healed and whole and reflecting his heart. That's why we don't finish a Jonah 3 verse 10, but why we go into Jonah 4. Because for us, we are preoccupied and obsessed with comfort and success and significance. God is obsessed with your heart. You see, ultimately into eternity, guys, you ain't going to take your success or your significance or your comfort, but you will take who you are. Do you know that? And God is wanting us to know from Jonah chapter 4 that he hasn't finished with Jonah just when Jonah is a successful prophet. He's finished with Jonah when Jonah's heart is just like God's. So what does, happen, what, what does God do? Well, I, I look at the chapter. I love it about God. Firstly, God lets Jonah speak. I don't know how many of you, some of you have been brought up in church. Some of you have never been brought up in church. You have an impression of God as this kind of austere headmaster character who, who just is wagging his finger or doing that little girl thing, you know, all that. God's not like that. Do you know, I love this, that, that God just kind of lets Jonah just pour all the stuff out. You know, you need to know this about God. God is not phased by anything that you've got to say. You can be angry with God. You can swear. You can cuss. You can shout. You can do anything. God is okay with that. In fact, God often, with people in the Bible, creates space where people can do that. He already knows what they're going to say, but he wants them to do it because it's good for them. It's cathartic. There's something healing about expressing what's going on inside of us. And so he lets him speak, and then he asks him a question. Have you any right to be angry? And then he takes him out, or he goes outside the city. Then there's this whole vine and worm thing going on. 
The old word for vine in the King James is gourd, G-O-U-R-D. You get this like gourd from the Lord, all right, or this vine from the divine uh, kind of thing going on. And you get this weird thing happening, and then the worm eating it, and you think, what on earth is going on? And, 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 the, and the shade covers Jonah, and guess what? Jonah is happy with comfort and shade. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Jonah's happy with the comfort and shade. Then God sends a worm to eat the vine, and Jonah wants to die again. Twice in this passage, in this chapter, Jonah says, I want to die. The histrionic thing. And it's really interesting that God then asks the same question. Do you have any right to be angry? And then Jonah says, yes, I do. Then God opens up his heart to Jonah. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. Listen, he's saying to him, you care about something which grows like that and dies like that, is temporary, is fleeting, will not last forever. I care about 120,000 people who will last forever. Whose heart? Whose heart do we have? You care about something that brings you personal comfort I care about a whole city of people who I am desperate to get to know, but who have turned their back on me. You care about something which is temporary and is here today and gone tomorrow. I care about something which is eternal, and that's people. Isn't it challenging, isn't it? And he shares his heart. And then he says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Question, space, blank, credits come up. So what does this all mean for us? What does this mean? There's three things that I want to say to you this morning as we finish our series. It ends with a question because it's not really Jonah that's meant to answer the question. It's you and it's me. See, that's, that's why it ends like this because actually it's all about us. If you remember in week one, those that are here, I did this, the babushka thing. You remember the Russian dolls and said there's five Russian dolls and there's five levels of meaning in the book of Jonah. Number one, this is about Jonah. It's a story of a prophet and a fish and a storm and a city. But number two, it's about you and me. We are allegories of that. We run away from God. We disobey God. And God loves us that he wants to bring us back. It's also a picture of us as the church, what we're meant to be. It's also a picture of the human heart. And ultimately, it's all about God. And it it ends with a question because this is God saying, it's not about Jonah now. It's about you. It's about your heart. Is your heart like God's heart? Is your heart becoming like God's heart Or actually, is it not? Are you just so preoccupied with your own comfort and your own shelter and your own shade and you don't give a rip about 120,000 people going to a godless eternity? And that's the question that we need to answer. And there are three things I want to say about Jonah that I think need to challenge us this morning as we finish. Number one, Jonah would still rather run than face the darkness inside of him. You see, when Jonah says twice, I want to die... He's actually, that's another form of escape. Now, I don't mean that in a a harsh way, but it can be. Look, I don't want to face this. I can't face this, Joan, God, that, that you would love those people who I hate. So rather than face the darkness of my hate and my anger and come to terms with your grace, it'd be better if I died. That's escapism. It's running away. Rather than face the darkness within us, we run away, even if it means we say we'd rather die. And I wonder this morning if there are any of us who still, still 
would rather run away than face the darkness inside of us. And you know, if we hang on to our anger and our bitterness, we will soon learn that that will follow us wherever we go. Isn't that right? But, but we need to deal with it by not escaping or trying to escape or trying to run away or by throwing ourselves into our own success and all of that stuff and face the darkness within us. Secondly, Jonah was a recipient of grace, but he wasn't yet living in grace. Now listen, I love this. Just listen to this. Chapter 1, Jonah is a lot like the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story? Father had two sons. We've talked about it recently. The younger one ran away. That's like Jonah in chapter 1. But in chapter 4, he's like the elder brother who didn't run away, who stays at home, who is sullen, angry, critical, and won't join in with the party. Chapter 1, he's like the rebellion son running. In chapter 2, he's like the religious son who's just angry because those people should not have had grace, God. It isn't fair. And whether rebellion keeps you away from the heart of God or whether religion keeps you away from the heart of God, it's the same thing. We're away from the heart of God. And God is desperate for your heart and my heart to come home to him. Because you know, when your heart comes home in God, the fears will begin to go, the hope and the meaning and the purpose will begin to flood in. And God will heal us and fix us in that sense of knowing that we have a heart that is a heart after God. Not about our circumstances, not even about our success, but it's about our heart being the heart of God. And Jonah and Nineveh are more like each other than we would like to admit. See, in the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out to God for his grace and his mercy, and God gives it. In the city, they cry out for God's grace and mercy, and God gives it. And what Jonah received from God, he couldn't give to those people. How many of us have ever received grace from God? Now, the challenge at times is receiving it, but I tell you, the bigger challenge is giving it to others, isn't it? When you think, yes, but they don't deserve it, that's the biggest challenge of all. And you see, calamity for them would have been justice for Jonah. Now, if you've received grace, and many of you put your hands up, I want to ask you a question. How do we cope when our enemy receives grace as well? How do we cope when the person that we think should get treated a certain way doesn't but gets treated a whole different way? Do we have but issues like Jonah? But, but it isn't fair, God. But it isn't justice. But I haven't been vindicated. But they should pay for what they've done. So your mate disses you at school and, and, and talks about you at school and, and to somebody else and you say, and they really need to get sorted, but they don't get sorted. What do you do with it then? But your work colleague treats you badly. Your boss treats you badly. Your employee treats you badly. And they should get justice and they don't get justice. And what happens to your heart when they don't get justice? Or your view about something isn't seeming to be heard and received and it just eats away at you like a worm that's eating and eating away. What do you do? It's a question of the heart. And I don't know from this chapter whether Jonah really gets this. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the bigger question isn't did Jonah get it. The bigger question is do we get it or not? And then the third and final thing I want to say is this. And I said this last week. The third lesson I think coming out of this is that Jonah knew the will of God, but he didn't yet have the heart of God. He knew what God wanted him to do and to be obedient to that. And eventually he was obedient to that. 
So one of our kids said this morning, he disobeyed God and someone else said he obeyed God, which is true. He knew the will of God, but he didn't yet have the heart of God. Jonah cared more about the removal of his comfort and shade than he did about 120,000 people who were dying in a godless, to a godless eternity. He cared more about his own comfort and shade than he did about 120,000 other people. Now, do I have to really spell that out, what that means to us? You see, ultimately, this story is about God and what God is like. It's a story that puts Jonah's desire alongside God's desire and asks, do they match up? Do my desires for my life match up to God's desires for my life? And if they don't, who's wrong? Who's wrong? And if we want our heart to grow, it's about God's desires becoming our desires. God's hope for the world becoming our hope for the world. Is what God wants for this world compelling to you? Is it attractive to you? Is it something that you say, I want to be like that? Is it? Is it? No. Is it? Is what God wants for the world attractive to anybody here this morning? See, now I don't know how to interpret your silence. Is it that you don't want to say that or you don't know what to say? But there's something in that whole space there where we say, is that true, God? Do I really want what you want for our world? You see, when God's character becomes our character, it's a character of graciousness and compassion, slow to anger and rich in love. So as we draw to an end, the one question screaming at you may still be, but, but, but did Jonah's heart really grow? Did he get it? And like I say, I don't think that's the real question. The question is, do we get it? You see, God has a dream for the world and Jonah has a dream for the world. God is compassionate, but Jonah is angry. God invites Jonah to share his dream for the world and to exchange his anger for compassion and grace. Isn't that awesome? God's heart for Jonah. Jonah, you were a successful prophet. Fantastic. Not really important. What's really important is how successful is your heart. Is your heart becoming like my heart? Because if it is, Jonah, I am so thrilled. It's great that you're successful. Great that you get a bit of comfort. Great that you get a bit of shade. That's not that important to me. What's really important is that your heart becomes like my heart. Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't, we've missed out what this is all about. This is not all about success. This is all about heart and character. How many of you want the heart of God? I've got some really bad news for you. There's only one way to get it, and it's called death. And you see, when Jesus in the book, in the Gospels, talks about the Jonah story, they come to him, they say, we want a sign, we want a sign. And so he talks about Jonah being a sign, but it's not a sign of miraculous, supernatural thing that everyone gets all excited about. It's actually a sign of real spiritual life. And he says, just as Jonah was inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so that's a picture of what's going to happen, that out of that tomb... When Jesus is going to be in that tomb for three days and three nights and he's going to die and be buried, that out of that place of death and burial is going to come life. And you see Paul in Philippians 3 verse 10 puts it perfectly as only Paul can. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. How many of you want to say that? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Whee! Becoming like him in his death. 
you see, this is not very palatable, and it may not be very consumer or very trendy, but the only way to spiritual life is through death. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can bring no life. And you see, what the tomb is all about, and next week, Dan, and then the week after, Janet, are going to pick up this theme of the journey of the heart, and they're going to look at Jesus. Uh, We're heading towards Easter. We're doing the Lent calendar. We're trying to prepare our hearts for Lent, for that resurrection Sunday morning. And Jesus ultimately, on his journey of the heart, success for Jesus was not like we would call it success. Because if you track the trajectory of his life in a graph, all right, and some of you will get very excited about that, and you meant this is the start of Jesus' ministry at the age 30, let's measure on this axis how many people are around him listening to him. Loads and loads. Go over three years to the end. How many people are around him at the end? No one. So for a success thing, his trajectory is like that. Americans would call that tanking. Not very successful. But ultimately, when he's on his own and he's on the cross and he dies, out of that tomb, that tomb becomes a womb, doesn't it? Because that place of death becomes a place of life. And so your heart, the Bible says, if you've got a heart of stone, exchange it, you know, die And I will give you a heart of flesh. And so what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to take that little heart that you've been given. And we're going to do something with it and with this tomb. Fast the band to come back. Because you see the cross of Jesus is all about death and it's all about exchange. And it's all about recognising that our heart that carries death and that carries darkness and that carries hurt and pain and sin and all that stuff, that if we want a heart like God's, which doesn't carry any of that stuff, then the only way we can do that is by dying to ourselves and by coming to God and saying, God, would you exchange? Would you give me a heart of flesh for a heart of stone? That there's darkness in me and actually I want to die to this darkness because really what I want is I want to have the heart of God. How many of you want the heart of God? So all I'm asking you today, if you want the heart of God, then I'm asking you to join with me as we respond this morning. And what we're going to do, and the act of doing this will do nothing. All right? This is a symbolic thing, just like taking communion. They're symbols. But what I want you to do is we're going to sing a song in a moment, and it's a song taken straight out of the Psalms, and actually Jonah quotes it. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He has grace on all that he has made. He has compassion on all that he has made. And while we're singing it, I want to encourage you, all of you if you want, or any of you that want to do this, if you today say, I want to have a heart like God's, I want to have a heart like God's, then all I'm going to ask you to do is to come and just to put it in the tomb. And we're going to leave that tomb there for the next three weeks. And on Easter Sunday, I'm going to invite you to come to the tomb again, only not to put anything in, but to take something out. Isn't that exciting? Because you see, this place of death, this tomb, becomes a place of life. It becomes a womb, doesn't it? And Jesus and Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And if I'm going to do that, it's only going to come as I share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. And as I die, he lives. That's exciting. And as we exchange and we say, This is my heart, and your heart might be hurting today, it might be broken. It might be dark, it might be fearful, it might be angry, it might be anything, but you say, but I don't want it to be like this. I want to have the heart of God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. 
then even just by doing that, saying, God, that's what I want to do. By your spirit, would you help me to do it? Why don't we stand? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are an awesome God. We want to thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are slow to anger and rich in love. And God, as we come to the God of Jonah, as we come to our God, Lord, I just pray that in these moments as we sing and as we do this kind of symbolic thing, that Lord, that you will do something in our heart. And if you've stirred us this morning and we want to say we want the heart of God, then Lord, I pray that as we do this, we will remember this decision. And just like Jonah prayed in the fish, that what I vowed I will make good, that we will remember this commitment, this this response today, and that Lord, by your Spirit, you would begin or continue that work of transforming our heart till it becomes more and more like the heart of God. We might not understand everything that I've said this morning, but Lord, if we want a heart like God's, Lord, I pray that we would respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to say to you this morning that if there's anyone here this morning, you don't know God. You've never given your life to God. You've never like asked Christ to come into your heart. Sounds a weird thing to say, but basically what it means is that you just say, do you know what? I've kind of been running my own show here and turning away from God. And I don't want to do that. You want to turn. You want to ask God come into your life. You ask Christ into your life. And he does by his spirit. Many of us will testify. That's what's happened to us. That can happen to you as well. Don't leave this morning without speaking to someone who you came with or speak to one of us, me or Janet or any of the other people around here. Love to tell you about that and pray for you. You too could know God in that kind of way this morning. But you know, there's one more thing that if I can just say, it's a little fanciful on my part, I know that. But this question of did Jonah ever really get it? Did Jonah ever, ever, did his heart ever really grow? Well, many commentators believe that Jonah actually wrote this book himself. And if that's true, if that's true, I want to suggest that I think he did get it. And he came back and he wrote this book and he left nothing out of it really. He, he wrote all about himself, didn't he? And all the disobedience and all the childishness and petulance and all of that. But perhaps something happened in his heart and so he came back and wrote it and he left it open-ended like that so that you and I and thousands and millions of other people would ask the question that he asked. Is my heart really a heart like God's? And the other interesting thing about the book is that it starts with God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it ends with God, a question from God. And it's like Jonah saying, listen, this isn't really my story. This isn't really our story. Ultimately, this is his story. Because it starts with God and it ends with God. Because Jesus said that I am the author and the finisher. I'm the perfecter. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. And you know, there's a lot happening in our world right now, in the Middle East and in our own culture and all across. And it's very easy to get shaken and to get threatened by all of that. And I want you to know, and we will pray for that. And please, if you want to know if you've got a heart for God, then let's come on Tuesday and let's pray. Let's pray for our world. Let's encounter God together. Let that be a great, or or is your comfort and shade more important than all the thousands of people because that's what we want to do we want to engage with God and we want to ask God to intervene but we do it not in a position of desperation where we don't know what will happen because I'll tell you what we do know what will happen because we have the beginning and the end don't we and not like this movie where you think oh how on earth is it going to end we know that it's going to end victoriously we don't quite know exactly how that will all pan out but ultimately it will because it starts with God and it finishes with God
And that's brilliant, isn't it? And so we're going to sing a final song, which is a prophetic song. It's a prophetic song because we're not yet seeing the full reality of this song. But Jonah was a prophetic book. This is a prophetic song. This is that we believe this, God, even if we don't see it. We believe it and we want to speak it and live it into being. And it talks about the world shaking with the love of God. We see the world shaking, but prophetically, we want to see it shaking with the love of God, don't we? And then the chorus just reminds us that God is bigger than all of this. Starts with God and it ends with God because God is bigger. So we're going to sing this great song. And there's a great line which says, Hearts Awakening. And as you sing that line, say, that's mine. That's mine. I am one of those hearts. How many of you are one of those hearts awakening? Let's sing it. And let's sing it prophetically. Let's sing it prayerfully. Let's sing it passionately as we finish our series on Jonah. Thanks.